Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's the CFO at Next Level University, entrepreneur and podcast host. It's Kevin Palmieri. How are you doing today, Kevin? Alex, I am living the dream. We're recording this on a Saturday. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to chat. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Oh my goodness. I am originally from Uxbridge, Massachusetts, a small town. So please, I will not be offended if you've never heard of it. (laughs) And I would say growing up, I was very much like any other young boy. I enjoyed sports. I loved uh, Pokemon cards when I was younger. That was in Beanie Babies. I had Beanie Babies when I was younger and I always enjoyed baseball. I was a big baseball player from age nine until my senior year in high school. So I always enjoyed being active, going to the gym. Um, And then just for a little context, I was raised in a single parent household. So I was raised by my mom and my grandmother, and I didn't actually meet my dad until I was 27. Wow. So that's part of my, that's an important part of my story. I like to throw that out there as well. For someone that has never heard of the city you're from, what is one big thing that your town is known for? Oh my goodness. This is, this is the, um, the biggest thing that probably ever happened is we got a McDonald's (laughs) and I'm not like, I'm serious. There was nothing. We were an hour outside of Boston. That's kind of like the best thing that ever happened. We got a McDonald's and we got a Dunkin' Donuts within the span of, uh, probably like 15 years. So that's pretty big. For Uxbridge. Wow. <laughs> you talked about all the different activities that you're in. Was there a specific moment that kind of got you wanting to play baseball or be active in sports? <laughs> my mom made me play baseball. So <laughs> I, my mom wanted me to play sports because I was very athletic. I was, I was very athletic. I was strong. Even as a young child, I was strong and I like playing soccer. And she said, I want you to play baseball. I want you to try at least. And I remember kicking and screaming and crying. And then I ended up falling in love with with (laughs) baseball. And I ended up going on to be a a very good baseball player, which I'm grateful for. I think that one of the the through lines of my life was not feeling good enough. So when I initially started going to the gym, long before I was ever a bodybuilder, quote unquote, I just was the small kid. I mean, I'm, I'm only five foot four. Right in high school, I was shorter than that for sure. And I wasn't, I didn't necessarily have muscle. So I think that I always felt lack. And I thought, you know what? If I can get really strong and I can look really good without a shirt on, people will value me. And that is what I proceeded to practice for the next, you know, however many years. And it worked. It worked. I got a lot of love for being in shape and being strong. And that became part of my identity, which was a positive. But obviously, you can, you can run that into the ground as well. Was it hard having that mindset and kind of wanting that outcome at a young age? I don't think so because, and now it's easy for me to say this, but like, it was kind of easy back then. I I had, I have really good genetics. My dad was like a massive human being, like very strong. And I remember when you're 16, you're just kind of putzing around in the gym and the testosterone is flowing and you don't really know what you're doing. Your diet's garbage. But I remember I was one of the more in shape people I knew. And it was based on the fact that I was just more consistent. And then I remember Alex, I picked up jujitsu. I wanted to fight professionally in high school. That was one of my goals. So I pumped gas. I worked at the gas station. I would pump gas from six till two. 
And this was after I graduated high school from six to two, I would pump gas from like three to four 30. I'd lift weights. And then from like six to eight, I would train jujitsu. And then that was kind of my, my life. And I was in some of the best shape I'd ever been. So I think that I never really felt super smart. I never really felt super valuable as a human being, but I always valued the fact that if people thought I looked good, they would probably like me as a human being. That's, that was always one of my beliefs. I think especially with high school, I know for me, finding that identity, like Mm. who do you represent? What do you want to be? And I think for me, I played sports, but I didn't take it as seriously as I wanted to. Plus injuries happened. So it kind of lost where I wanted to go with it. But I kind of wanted to be me still. And kind of, I kind of wish that I still continued with the sports, but you know, everything happens for a reason. And I'm happy with the path that it's taken. When you mentioned the schedule that you had after high school, did you feel that it was more of a job in a way that you just are working nonstop and just didn't have that personal life where you could socialize and be around other people? So I think, and this is something I've really learned about myself. I don't really care about socialization almost at all. I don't know where that comes from. I am very... I don't really like fun, unique experiences that much. I do with certain people. Like my fiance definitely values that more than I do. Mm -hmm. Variety, right? It's variety. I don't value variety that much, but I am willing to do it for her because I know it's a core value for hers, uh, of hers. But my goal at the time was to become a professional fighter. I remember people at the gas station would ask me like, Hey, when's your fight or when's your next grappling competition or how's training going or, and that was my identity. So no, I remember that was, I have very fond memories of that time because it just, it was a simple life. I mean, there wasn't that much pressure. There was very little pressure. I lived at home still, you know, I had a $6,000 car, so that wasn't a big deal. My bills were very low and there was just a lot of freedom in that. And it's interesting because I never, even when you were talking about the high school thing, it's like, we don't know that at that time. I yeah. mean, when you're in high school, everything matters more than anything. Yeah. Like, God forbid you wear the same shirt two days in a row. That is the end. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> That's the end. But now you look back and it's like, would anybody even remember that? It's so interesting to have that conversation as, as a, I'm a 32-year-old now versus at the time, it seems like everything is so, so, so important. So yeah, that, that shook that loose for me. That was very interesting. It's crazy. As you mentioned that how like high school, same thing, anything you did, it basically changed the projection of how did people react about you? What's going to happen in the future? Mm -hmm. And it's now you look, you're like, why did we take it so seriously? It's like, that doesn't matter. Like what you do in high school doesn't change after Mm -hmm. the fact. So do you think it affects your identity? Because if you, and again, this is just an example, but like, if you wear the same shirt two days in a row, somebody might say, okay, that kid's, that's the broke kid. And then, then they treat you like the broke kid. And then you don't get to invite it to the parties because you're the broke kid. And then I think that's such an interesting thing because I think that then affects your identity and creates your identity for after high school. And then, then that's something you have to unlearn later. Especially at that time, I would probably say, yes, I was Mm. probably thinking that now when I do that, I'm like, yeah. I do whatever I want. I mean, it's my life. If I right. wear the same pullover two days in a row, okay. Yeah. I, 
I mean, I have done that. So <laughs> same. My fiance, I have a sweatshirt. It's it's over there. She literally said, like, when can I throw that thing away? It's disgusting. <laughs> and I said, you uh, you can't. You can never promise me you'll never throw this away. This is my it's my baby. I literally wear it every day. Now again, I don't leave the house very often because I'm usually in the office. But I'm I'm very similar now. It's like I all you know in when you're younger and you don't have confidence in yourself, you want to look good all the time. And yeah. now like I go get our pickup in my pajamas. Cause it's like, I don't really care that much. There's other things I'm more worried about than if I have my pajama pants on with my penguins on them or whatever it may be. As you're growing up, did you have anybody that was an inspiration or motivated you or someone you talked about that you wanted to be a professional fighter? Was there anyone that influenced you? That's a great question. Not personally. So I, and I, I love my family. My family has been very supportive of this journey, but I didn't necessarily have a ton of relatable um, role models that I could actually connect with on a human to human basis. There was very little of that for me. Now, what I did have that I was blessed with is a lot of my friends' families knew I didn't have a dad. So their fathers tried to be a father figure to me, which I'm very grateful for. But no, I, I think that when I was young, like really young, probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight. I loved wrestling, mm -hmm. like WWF, Ultimate Warrior, like those. And I wanted to be a wrestler. And then I found out wrestling was fake. And I was like, what? No way. I can't do that. I don't want to be a, a fake wrestler. So I wanted to be a stuntman. Okay. And I think that for me, and this is the identity portion, I don't mind taking a beating. I think that's kind of like the, the moral of the story. My cousin and I used to have pretend wrestling matches and he used to hit me over the head with a, a steel folding chair. It's steel, <laughs> like not fake steel. And he used to throw me into thorn bushes. And I think there's like a part of me that enjoyed being able to handle it. So I think that the next logical step was, well, my, my grandfather was a boxer. So maybe that's part of it. My grandfather was a boxer. My great grandfather was a bare knuckle boxer back in, you know, whatever year that was. So I think that's probably part of it, but I think I've always wanted to do something different. I don't think I ever wanted to just like fit in with what everybody else was doing. I mean, all my friends went to college. I didn't, there's a part of that that was like, look, I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing, you know? And then it's like, I quit my job and went all in on podcasting. Like that's a pretty rare thing to do. So I think I, I always wanted to stand out a little bit. I think that was part of it. When you were training in jujitsu, what was the most challenging part that you found out about training in that combat sport? You're going to lose every day. And that actually means you're winning every day. It's that it's very humbling Number one, it's very humbling, martial arts in general, because there's very few places in life where you can actually see the ceiling and the floor. And martial arts is that. Like when you go in, you're the floor and everybody knows it, but you don't yet. And then when you start experimenting different positions and moves and then you realize like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And if this person wanted to kill, like take my life, they could. Genuinely, they could do it very easily. That's very, very, very humbling. And I think it puts you in a good position to understand where you are in the food chain, which is positive. And then I would say the other thing is you're going to lose a lot. 
I mean, you're, you're going to experience a lot of adversity and you can't necessarily allow that to hurt your identity. It can't creep into your consciousness when it comes to your level of belief. You have to use your losses as lessons. And I didn't do that. I remember. So in jujitsu, there's a lot of different, I mean, there's like arm bars and different chokes and you use your legs. And I always only did it from the side I was good at. So I was, I was not good at both sides. I could only do the chokes from one side. And I never was willing to drop my ego enough to say, you know what? Today, I'm go- it's going to look bad and it's not going to work like it should, but I'm going to learn the left side. I'm going to do the triangle choke on the, the weak leg. And I think that's an important lesson for all of us because if you only do what you're good at, you're never going to get better at the things that you're not great at. Yep. And I am definitely as guilty of that as, most human beings. And that's a lesson that I've learned and I've tried to practice is I just want to be wildly honest about what I'm good at and even more radically honest about what I'm not good at. Because I think that's the, the real way to grow is to admit what you're great at and admit what you're not great at and then figure out, okay, how do I shore up the strengths and, and the weaknesses also? I love that you mentioned that because I will always use the title of my show, Rise to the Challenge. Anything that I'm not good at, I want to rise up and Mm. become knowledgeable in that topic and understand that I want to learn about these things because it just makes us better. Like you don't want to just keep doing the same thing over and over and not evolve at any time. So I like that you mentioned that because a lot of people can relate where they're so comfortable at something, but they're afraid to break out of that shell and try to get uncomfortable and learn. Yeah. Normal. When your normal becomes normal, you forget what it was like for it not to be normal. And I think that's, we get in that pattern of comfort to your point. It's, it's very, it's very fulfilling to try something new and then improve and rise to that challenge. I think it's, it's, I think it's such a key to life. Really. It really is, is if you want to be the best version of you and you want to elevate and you want to evolve and you want to feel fulfilled and challenged, you got to do stuff that there is a chance you'll fail at. Yep. You know, when I walk up on stage for a speech, I am terrified. And the reason I'm terrified is like, this could go horribly wrong. Like there's a lot of things that could go wrong here where you and I talking today, worst case scenario, I misspeak and say, Hey, can we, Hey, can what can I say that again? Can I can I do that again? There's not a bunch of people watching us live. So it's like this is more normal. This mm-hmm. is easier. This is less of a challenge than if there was 50,000 people in an arena because there's a lot of things that can go wrong. But I try to tell myself this is what living is. When you're walking up on stage and you got that like bump 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 yeah. and it's like, "Oh my goodness, that's living. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That that shows that you're growing." And it's it's important not to take that for granted because that wasn't always like that. Do you remember the first competition or fight that you had and what was going through your mind at that time? The first one I ever did was a grappling competition. So I never actually got to do a fight because I tore my labrum and I had to get surgery and I was out for a couple of years. And then it just, from there, it was like, okay, I got to find a way to make money while I'm injured and all this stuff. So I remember I went to a grappling competition and it was like an hour and a half drive. And I drove with my coach and there was other people in the car that were competing. And I remember the best way to explain it is it was kind of like one of those dreams where you're trying to run, but you can't move like you're moving so slow. 
except it was that with my energy. I think I had four matches and the first one, I just gassed out. I gave it my all. I got choked out. Definitely did not win. And I remember afterwards, I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't pace myself at all. I can't breathe. I have another match in like a minute. This is terrible. This is the worst experience of my life. It was very, very, very humbling. And then I think I did one after that. I don't remember what happened though. Probably not good is my guess because I probably would remember if it was good. Was there ever a time where when you were not winning that you wanted to quit and give up and say, I want to move on to something else? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Because those losses are embarrassing because somebody else is directly defeating you. That's the the interesting thing about martial arts and fighting is it's not a team sport. If you win, you win. If you lose, and you know, you have a team, you have coaches and and everything, but it's really you and they're performing. So I think that that's probably a regret I have is I never went back. I never went back. And I do, I do plan on that. That's something I anticipate doing when I have a little bit more time and, and the business is not taking so much from me, but Yeah, there was many times I wanted to quit when it came to that. There was many times I wanted to quit on the podcast journey. I mean, yeah, 100%. Anybody who, and maybe not anybody, but I think a lot of us, we hear people who say like, no matter what, you got to show up. And and I have never quit tattooed on my arm. So I, I am that person who believes you should never quit. But like everybody wants to, everybody wants to quit. So it's okay if you want to, it's just... How do you make the decision to keep going, even if it's a crawl or one step or another inch? Just keep progress, keep momentum. I think the most cliche line is never give up. And I think people use it all the time. But to me, I honor those words because if I'm putting my effort into something, I'm going to go full at it and not give up unless there's something that literally is stopping me from completing it. But I will do anything I can to do that. But when you say never quit, that's how I live because I don't want to look back and regret not finishing it because that's going to change my mental state. And then when I go on to the next project, am I going to have that same outcome? No, I don't want to even think about the negatives. I want to think about the positives. Yeah. We, so my, my co-host, he's the CEO and he's the co-founder of the company. We lived in Florida for a month, like three years ago, I think. And in while we were down there, we met up with one of our buddies, Eddie Panero. He's got a very big YouTube channel called Your Your World Within, Eddie Panero. And he brought us to this place where there's these Marines that have a gym. And we interviewed the Marines. And then they we went out to do this thing called the sled challenge. And what it is, is they have these sleds that you put, I think it's 135 pounds on, on the asphalt. And you literally push them oh man, it's probably like a half a mile total. And I remember we went outside and they're like, are you good to go? I said, this is nothing. This is going to be fine. This is nothing. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm an athlete. This is going to be fine. And I said, we're just going to those dumpsters. Right. And they're like, no, no, you're going all the way down in the street and back. And I was like, okay, all right, we'll see what happens. They say go. And I like a bat out of hell, I'm hammering it. And I remember I made it about like a quarter of the way there. So like an eighth, an eighth or a 16th, whatever the math is total. And I remember thinking, this is not good. I'm not, there's no way I finished this. I have to pace myself. I ended up making it all the way down and I was on my way back. 
And I literally started throwing up. I like, but I looked at my arm and I was like, you can't like, you can't stop. And I kept going and I did not finish. I could not finish, but I went to the point where I thought I was going to pass out. I was throwing up profusely, like kind of crawling through my own. And again, I sorry for painting the picture, but (laughs) crawling through it to try to continue because I, I very much had that mentality. But even to your point, I think that one thing that I could have done better in the past. And yes, I'm, my handle is never quit kid. Like that's, I'm very much in on this, but quitting if something is no longer aligned, that is something I could probably have practiced better in the past, because if it's not aligned with your core aspirations or your core values, your core beliefs, that's when I do believe, okay, you know what? I'm going to relegate this. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to get away from this. Maybe quitting is not the phrase I would use, but yeah. You talked about not going in the traditional route, like going to college and things like that. What was that next step for you in your journey? After high school? After training, fighting, did you go into a new career, a new industry? What did I do? Yeah. So uh, I remember while I was working at the gas station, I had just recovered from my shoulder injury. And I went back to the gas station because that was my job. They got bought out by somebody. And I remember I was like, okay, I'm in shape. I love the gym. I know a lot about fitness. I've been doing it for however many years at this point. I'm going to become a personal trainer. That's what I want to do. I want to help people. That's awesome. Let me do this. And I remember I told my boss, I said, hey, just out of courtesy, I want to let you know that I'm looking for personal trainer jobs. And he fired me the next day, literally the next day. Yeah. The next day he didn't even, he had somebody else call me and say, you're done. And I was like, okay, I didn't, that wasn't the plan. All right, cool. So I remember I was pretty broke at the time because I had been out of work with my shoulder surgery. And I think I used all of my savings. So I had to find a job and I ended up working overnights at a hospital and my title was project person. And what the project person did was we would strip and wax floors, which honestly was pretty cool. I actually enjoyed that very much. What I didn't enjoy was that was only like one night a week. The other four nights we would clean bathrooms and we would clean empty rooms when people checked out or passed away. We would like empty the needle boxes and take them out to this trailer. And I remember I did not like that at all because people... And again, this is my experience. People definitely treated me pretty badly because it's like, well, you're kind of the, you know, you're not a doctor, you're not a nurse, like you're not that valuable. And I remember feeling that it was, that was a tough, that really helped me with perspective of understanding, like, look, everybody's, everybody's showing up and doing the best that they can. And maybe they're not in the same position as you, but that doesn't mean they're any different as a human being. That was important. That was an important lesson for me. But yeah, I remember I did that for like a year and a half. And it was 11 to seven overnights, no social life. Again, that's a common theme. And I remember I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And then I ended up getting a job as a a personal trainer. Yeah. When you were talking about how people didn't treat you the same because you Mm -hmm. weren't a doctor, did that play with your mental state of mind? Did it lead to anything or did you kind of have to know your value and who you are as a person? I definitely struggled with it from the aspect and I have this weird and I've worked on this a lot, but I have this like weird ego part of me that, and remember 
you know, I've trained martial arts. I've been in fights. I'm, I'm a tough, tough guy, quote unquote, that if you're a doctor and you and I meet outside and I take off my uniform and you take off your uniform, we're just human beings. Mm -hmm. And if something was to happen, God forbid, and it was me or you, the fact that you're a doctor doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. So like I tried to level set it as egoless as I could and just say like, look, you're just a human being who has went, has gone to school and done great things and become very intelligent and you're doing your thing. I'm just at a different point in my life. That is kind of how I quantified it. But I remember, I remember that there was a nurse that I had a crush on and she was friends with the other project person that I worked with. And he said, Hey, this girl's got a crush on you. And I was like, there's no way she has a crush on me. She, there's no way this beautiful blonde nurse. There's no way. And she did. And I ended up talking to her, but that was a very challenging thing of like, I don't know. It's, I guess it's like the, the classic, do we actually belong together? It's almost like we're in different social levels, mm-hmm. right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the way it felt. And again, it's, it's definitely changed my perspective on that, but yeah, it was, it was a challenge for sure. For my ego, for my confidence, for sure. You mentioned the next step was being a personal trainer. Was living out that dream or being a personal trainer everything you thought it was going to be? Because a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to be a trainer. I get to be in the gym every day. I get to have an easy life, make all this money. But maybe it's completely the opposite once you're really in it. Yeah, no, definitely worse than I thought. Yeah, 100%. Um, I remember I had the interview and I was late. Cause I don't know if my car broke down or something, but I was late and I was like, this is not going to get this job for sure. And I remember that the, there was a, a, there were a couple, they were a married couple that owned it. And this place was a private gym. So it wasn't like a planet fitness or anything. This was a one-on-one. We have four rooms and you have your own room for your clients. And these clients pay like thousands of dollars to get this. And I was like, interesting. Okay. And I remember I was hired. I actually got hired that day. And they said, number one, we don't, you don't have any bad habits to break because you've never been a personal trainer. So we can train you the way we want to train you. And you're jacked basically is what the guy said. He's like, I could see your traps through your shirt. I know you're into fitness. And I was like, okay, I guess that works. But part of, part of this company is you have to sign a contract that says, I will stay here for a minimum of a year or I will pay a thousand dollars, which is what they equate their training to. So they're training you on how to become a coach that costs us a thousand dollars. And I remember in the beginning, it was cool. Like I was learning a lot. I remember one of my clients pulled in and he was like showing me his Porsche and he was a really cool dude. Yeah. He's like, I just bought a new Porsche, Kevin. I was like, Whoa, wait, what? And he was a really cool guy. He was an awesome guy, but I remember it like got worse and worse. And they were just on me about sales. They're like, Kev, you got to sell more. You got to get this person to buy more packages. They're not re-upping. Are they getting results? Like I, it was brutal. I, I just, I remember thinking I didn't, I didn't join here to be a salesperson. I joined here to help people. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I literally, I quit. I paid a thousand dollars to leave that job with no other job. I wrote a check for a thousand dollars. I said, I'm done here. And I remember I went to Newport, Rhode Island 
on the weekend after I left and just like partied for a couple nights. I had no job. I had no prospect for a job, but I just needed to get away. I just needed to get away. During that time where you went to Rhode Island and partied, Hmm. was that like the needed break that you needed because you were constantly working and doing all these different jobs that you really didn't get to enjoy? Kind of like we talked about the social life where you kind of were working, but now you're able to be out there. Yeah, I think I just wanted to live it up. You know, I had money in the bank. I was making decent money. Again, I was living at home, so my bills were pretty low. So I think it was just like, look, I don't have anywhere to be. And there's no directly negative things for me not to do this. Like, let me just do this. Let me go away for a couple of days. So I don't think there was a lot of intentionality behind it. I think it was more like Newport, Rhode Island is a really nice place in the summer. And we're going to go down there and we're going to eat seafood and party and see what happens. And then when we come home, I'll regroup and then figure out what the next step of my life is. I think it was kind of that. I was just kind of winging it, Alex, genuinely. Did you go to Newport by yourself or did you go with a group? I went with one of my, one of my buddies at the time. It was just, just two of us. After you came back from Newport, now it's kind of like, what's next for me? What was next for you? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So my uncle was the logistics person at a building material supply company. And I ended up talking to him and he said, yeah, we're hiring a forklift operator. If you want to apply, I can get you in. And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. I've never run a forklift. That sounds fun. So I got a job as a forklift operator. And then there was an empty truck and it was a 20 foot flatbed truck. So you didn't need a special license to drive it. And my uncle asked one day, he's like, do you know how to drive a stick? And I was like, yeah, I know how to drive a stick. My car's a stick. And he's like, do you want to drive this truck? Like you, you take this delivery to here. And I was like, yeah, I guess like, let's see what happens. And I remember I loved it. It was awesome. It was awesome. You, I would load my own truck. I'd throw the straps over it. I'd ratchet it down, throw it in the GPS. Like I could take my lunch with me. I could listen to music. I could have the windows down. There was nobody next to me. I was by myself. No social, no social stuff. (laughs) It was awesome. It was awesome. So I remember I enjoyed it. And this has always kind of been a theme. I enjoyed it in the beginning, but then it was like, they wanted you to work from, you had to be there at five in the morning or like five 30 in the morning. Some days I had runs into Boston where I had to be in Boston at five in the morning, which means I had to be at the place at like three 30 in the morning. And it wasn't like, Oh, you came in at three 30. Cool. You can leave at noon. No, no, no. You came in at three 30. You're not finishing till seven tonight. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. That was routine. And we need you to work Saturday too. You need to drive this into the city on Saturday. So It got to the point, Alex, believe it or not, (laughs) where I went in one day and I was like, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing this. I'm done. And they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I have nothing lined up. I I don't know, but I think I'm going to go to the fire Academy. I think that's what I'm going to do next. I I think being a firefighter would be cool. I'm going to try that. And I remember the owner kind of like laughed at me when I left. Cause he's like, you don't have anything else planned. I said, no, but also in fairness, I never have like in retrospect, I just kind of guessed that it was going to work out. So I ended up leaving that job. My uncle was definitely mad at me for a short time. Cause I kind of made him look bad, but I just remember thinking like you, not my uncle, because he, he was under the same thing. My uncle worked more than I did. I mean, he worked like 90 hours a week. I remember thinking like, they don't care about my life. They don't care about the fact that I have a relationship and 
I have family and I want to do things. All they care about is work. And I don't, I don't want to trade my life to a company. So yeah, I quit that one as well. I think you brought up a great point because I have that same thing where when you're working, they don't care what's going on in Mm -hmm. your life. And I have like, if I'm working a salary job, I'm not getting overtime. So I'm going to put in the hours, the nine to five, I'm going to work a hundred percent. But when that five o'clock hits <laughs> and my mom and I joke about this, cause we're like, okay, it's four 30, turn all the computers off. I'm out of there because it's like, I got a life to live. Like yeah. I want to go enjoy something. If you're going to pay me extra. Okay. Then we can talk about working overtime, but if it's not going to be that way. I'm not going to do it. And I've had jobs where, especially when I was working in a grocery store, the hours were so crazy. It's like every week you had to figure out, okay, I'm working this hour. Okay. What can I do else to yeah. enjoy? Got to enjoy it. But now lately, the last few years where I've been a straight up salary, I've been enjoying having that after time, creating my own schedule and just enjoying. But when I'm hearing your story, I feel that eventually when you get into next level university, you kind of like to control your schedule or control, be the owner of what you want to do. Because you mentioned how you like that freedom of driving, but you just hated the hour parts. So it's like, I kind of see now that it's eventually building up to where you are today with how you were enjoying, you needed all those different trials in each of the jobs to figure that out eventually. Yeah. It's interesting, Alex, because I've never, I've done many podcasts, but I have never done one in this way where like I am, this is going to be my favorite one ever because I'm connecting dots that I didn't, I didn't realize I quit that many jobs without other jobs until this moment where it's like, that was really reckless. No wonder why my family thought I was crazy because I was making some pretty rash decisions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I think I always wanted to do my own thing. I just didn't, excuse me. I just didn't know what my own thing was. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll see when I get, you know, it's weird because these other jobs are not the most wild thing I've ever done. So that's, that's the interesting part. But I actually eventually traded in all of my certainty and all of my freedom for my job because they were willing to pay me enough money. And that's where a lot of things change. But yeah, this is, it's very interesting for me to look back on all these and connect the dots. So you mentioned about transitioning out of that job and we were talking about how you had, you liked that freedom. Were you eventually ready to go to that next step or did you still need to try different jobs to eventually get there? So when I left that job, I went to, I still lived in Uxbridge, Mass at the time. I went to the local fire department and I said, Hey, I want to be an on-call firefighter. And they're like, wow, that's awesome because we actually have a class coming up. And what this class was is you would go, I think it was two times a week. I think it was Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday and Thursday. And then towards the end, it was Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday because Tuesday and Thursday were classroom days. And then Saturday was a practical day. So we'd learn about the jaws of life. We would put out fires in the, in the burn room. That was, it was really cool. So I said, yeah, I'm in, let's do this. Like, this is awesome. And I still don't have a job at this point. And I ended up connecting with one of the guys I went to the academy with. His name was Zach, big tattooed guy, nicest dude in the world. Used to be in like a screamo metal band, but he's just like the nicest guy in the world. And he's like, hey man, you have any construction experience? And I was like, no, no, not really. And he's like, well, we're renovating a house and we need a laborer. Do you want to do it? And I was like, sure. 
And he said, we'll pay you $15 an hour under the table. And I was like, that's awesome. Perfect. That's exactly what I need. So I went and worked with him and we renovated this house. And I think it took like three months or whatever. And it was wonderful because at the, that time, that was the best money I'd ever made. They were paying me for 40 hours a week, even though I never worked 40 hours a week. I would work by myself again. They would leave. They would just like go do stuff and I would work. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm just painting, listening to music. This is perfect. So after that job ended, they're like, yeah, we don't really have anything else. So we're not going to have anything for a while. And I was like, oh, okay, this isn't ideal. I don't know what to do now. So I think a couple months passed and I didn't have a job. And I remember my girlfriend at the time, her aunt worked in a city called, it's called Framingham. And Framingham is a city. And there's a lot of poverty in Framingham. So what they have is there's this thing where they kind of will run a class and you can go in and learn a new skill and they'll set you up with an employer. It's a really cool thing. And her aunt said, Kev, you don't have a job. You, you can apply for this school thing and you can go to this school and they'll connect you with a company at the end. And I was like, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't want to go back to school. And they're like, well, you can choose different trades. And I said, okay, I like working with my hands. Let me see what this is about. So I signed up for this trade called weatherization. And all weatherization is, is you make homes more energy efficient. So I took this class. They taught us about spray foam and how to seal up holes and put weather stripping on windows and doors. And I was like, all right, this, this is pretty cool. I could see myself doing this. So I graduate. The last day when they're setting you up with a company, I go into the office of the lady who brought me in. And she said, we have this really awesome opportunity for you. We know you're going to work well with this company. You have a great personality. You have a great work ethic. You're just, you seem like a good person. Um, the only downside is there's travel involved. So this company is based in Boston. At the time I lived in uh, Uxbridge. So it's like an hour an hour and a half with traffic. And I said, I'm not interested in traveling to Boston every day. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. She said, well, just hear us out. You're, you're going to make anywhere from 50 to a hundred dollars an hour. And I said, this is not real. Like there is no way this is real. And she's like, no, no. What it is, is you work for the state. So I know you learned about a lot about houses. This company doesn't work on houses. This company works on schools and fire stations and police stations and big buildings, town halls. And I said, Okay. I said, I'll take the interview. Like, let me see what this is about. So I dress up real nice, go to this interview and I'm literally helping who becomes my future boss. I'm helping him move stuff in the trailer and I'm wearing like khakis and a button up shirt. I'm looking real nice. And he's like, Hey, can you grab that and move that over here? Grab that and move that over here. And I, I'm only there for probably like a half hour. And at the end, he says, all right, so we have a bunch of people who applied for this job, but I think you're a really good fit. You got a great personality. I know you're going to fit in with the crew. We're starting a job in a couple months in Delaware. Do you want to do it? And again, I lived in Massachusetts. Delaware was an eight-hour drive. I had never been, I mean, I've been out of the state, but I've never been to Delaware. And I said, yeah, I'm in, like, I'll do it. And a couple months go by and I'm like, I don't know if this is actually going to happen. And I remember I was at the movies with my friend and a couple, uh, we each had like a date. And I remember I got a text or a call from my boss and he said, it's go time. Like, let's do this. And I remember I didn't have like any money. Like I should, it was reckless for me to go to the movies because I had $0. And I told my family, because I, I had told them what was 
I expected to happen. And I said, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to Delaware to work. And they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I have no clue. Where in Delaware are you going? I have no idea. I genuinely don't know. What do you need? I really don't know. I think work boots. I think that's it. So I proceeded to go to the office. I got in the car with my boss who I'd met one time before, and we drove eight hours to Delaware. And we pulled up to this really nice house that we had rented for the summer. I proceeded to meet seven human beings who I'd never met before in this house. I got my own room, which was cool. And I woke up the next day and I went to a big school and learned weatherization. And that was the beginning of the next part of my journey. And I remember, I remember the day we went down there. My boss said, just so before we go, I just need you to know that technically since you're in training, you're kind of on like, um, you're on the line where, yeah, you're part of the company, but we're not going to pay you full yet because this is kind of your test. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, you're going to make $10 an hour less than everybody else. And I was like, what? I'm going to make like five bucks an hour. He's like, so you'll be making 50. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, you'll, you'll be making $50 an hour. Everybody else makes 60. And I remember when I got my first paycheck, Alex, I remember I looked at it and I was like, this is not real. There is no way this is real. And I don't remember what it was. I mean, I don't know, probably $1,300, $1,400. But that was the most, I mean, I made in a week what I was making in a month before. And I remember after that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. And that was the beginning. I spent, I don't know, probably like six weeks in Delaware. So we would, we would spend a week down there. I'd drive home for like the weekend or we'd spend two weeks and we'd drive home for a couple of days. And uh, that was the first job I ever did. Did you ever get burned out from doing all that traveling and all driving and working those long hours? I did, but I, the money was so good that I didn't really care. I didn't really care. I mean, that was a life-changing amount of money for me, right? That was, I went from making 15, $14 an hour to making 50. And that was, that wasn't the lowest I ever made, but like, different states have different rates. So I worked in New Jersey more often than not. And New Jersey was like $60 an hour minimum. I went on a job one time where I looked it up and it was like 107. And I was like, no way, no way I'm making $107 an hour. Like this is wild. I don't understand how this works. So the first couple of years, no, the first couple of years, it was kind of like this wild journey of, they give me, I get a company credit card for gas and everything. They give me a van. They give me the check-in to get into the hotel and I have all the tools and I'm just like going. Like they're just sending me off to drive seven hours and they trust us. It's awesome. It's like so cool. And I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I worked in some really cool places. I worked in, I worked in a prison one time, which was interesting. I worked in fire stations, which was really cool for me because I wanted to be a firefighter. I worked in police stations. I worked in a lot of big schools. Um, where else did we work? We worked in a lot of really cool places. So at that point in my life, it was so new. It was such like a novel experience that I was willing to do whatever. There was very little burnout. I very much wore that as a badge of honor. I was very, for the first time, I think I was proud of my job. I was proud of what I was doing in the world. And I enjoyed it. I really did. I enjoyed it. How long did you end up being with that company? So I was with them, I was probably there for like four years. So 
the problem with that company and really the industry in general is there's a lot of downtime. So I would be on unemployment for spurts at a time because you can you could apply for unemployment because you were out of work. You were technically laid off. So I would apply for unemployment. I would just kind of hang out until work was ready again. Um, but what happened? So if you fast forward like three years into that job, maybe four, I was 25. I had all the results. I had a sports car. I mean, at this point, I'm making really good money. I'm able to save money. So I have a sports car. I have a new apartment. My girlfriend at the time was a model. I had just done a bodybuilding show. So I was in the best shape of my life, but quite literally check all the boxes. Kevin had all the things that anybody could ever want and that Kevin ever wanted. But my girlfriend came to me one day and said, Hey, I want to move across the country. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a big one for me. And I remember her and I had a real talk and I said like, no, I no. this is a list of 50 reasons why this is a bad idea. Now, most of them were just scarce afraid of being left behind, not brave, not courageous enough to do that. And I just found my dream job. Like, mm-hmm. You think I'm going to leave this dream job and, and go, I literally have left every single job I've ever had to find this one. And now I'm going to leave this one and hope I find something better. This isn't going to work. And she came to me two weeks later and said, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving everything. Like I'm going to go. And I'm going to go chase my dreams because that's what I want to do. I feel like it's important to me. And And I'm sad that you won't support that. So she ended up leaving me and best thing in the world. That's exactly what she should have done. I'm very glad she did that. I'm proud of her for doing that as the man I am today, who literally puts air into people's wings and says, go do your, go do your stuff. Uh, When she left, I remember that was like rock bottom. It was like, oh, okay. What does this mean? Can I be loved? Can I have a successful relationship? Why am I so insecure? why do I lack such confidence? Why do I have low self-worth, low self-esteem? And work was super slow at the time. I was on unemployment. My bills just doubled. So I went from paying half of a $1,400 rent to all of it. You know, the cable bill was 200 bucks. My car payment was 420. So I'm paying a lot of money out and I was not making a lot of money because work was slow. And that was when I first started self-improvement. I I remember I started reading and I started doing positive affirmations and I would say, I'm talented, I'm worthy, I'm handsome, I'm intelligent. This year, I'm going to make the most money I've ever made in my entire life. So naturally I went to money because I thought that would fix my problems. And then that next year, so this is the second to last year I worked for that company. I got a promotion to a foreman and being a foreman means that you're on the job from the day it starts to the day it ends, which means more dollars, which give me that, please. I will take that. And that year I was on the road for 10 months straight. Wow. Yeah. I I worked in New Jersey. I worked in Connecticut. I worked in Virginia. I ran a job in Virginia that was a hundred buildings that I was in Virginia for like three months. And Virginia doesn't have prevailing wage, which means they don't have to pay you a certain rate. So when they told me I was running that job, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to make, I'm going to be three months at 40 hours a week at $75. Like I am going to make bank this year. No, they don't have that. We're going to pay you $20 an hour. Now, again, oh. grateful for $20 an hour, 20, but $20 an hour to live in a hotel, yeah. 14 hours from home, 
and like, I still have to buy my groceries and I have, I don't get paid to drive. I don't get paid for travel. So like in the grand scheme of things, that kind of sucked. But again, I know a lot of people would kill for $20 an hour. So I do want to be grateful for that. But I got to the end of that year, Alex, and I had my final pay stub 10 months on the road, burnt out. I was burnt out at this point, tired. I'm not sleeping. I stay up for days on end routinely. I'm eating fast food. Like it's going out of business. And <laughs> I opened my, my final pay stub and I still didn't have chairs at this point because my girlfriend took the chairs and I was never home. So I'm standing at my dining room table and I slide open my pay stub and I made a hundred thousand dollars at 26 with no college degree. And I was like, Oh man, I did it. I did what I, I set out to do. And I had that same moment of, but nothing changed. I'm still insecure. I'm still all these things that I tried to fix that I thought this would fix. And in that moment, that's when I realized that for most of my life, I had been living unconsciously. And I did what anybody else would do. I started a podcast and it was called the hyperconscious podcast because the opposite of unconscious is hyperconscious. And I was still doing my job. But I was having on the weekends, I would have people at my house and we would talk about their lives. I mean, we, we literally used to say, all right, let's go deep. Very much what you and I are doing today, right? Yep. One of my first interviews with one of my friends who debated suicide. And when he debated suicide, he called me and said, hey, will you come to the hospital with me? And we kind of went through that story on a podcast and shared it with the world. And I remember after that, I was like, this, this is something special. Like, I've never felt like I was able to contribute. I've always felt stupid. I I felt unintelligent. I'm not educated, but like when I'm on this microphone, I can, I can actually be me. And I fell in love with it. And I stopped caring about my job. I stopped caring about the money. I, I started calling out. I'd leave the job early, leaving hundreds, thousands of dollars on the table. Um, I remember it literally got to the point where I would have to be in New Jersey at 7 a.m. on Monday to start. I would sleep in my bed from 9 p.m. until midnight on Sunday. I would get up and drive six hours straight to the job site because I couldn't, I couldn't spend another night on the, on the road. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. And it got to the point where I was in New Jersey one morning and my alarm clock went off at like 5.15. It was cold. I think it was winter. And it was just dark, crusty, gross hotel room. And I wake up, I slide to the edge of the bed. I'm lacing up my work boots. And the best way to explain it, Alex, is there's 10 TVs on in my head at the same time. And every single one is on a different station. And it's just a lot of noise. And one saying you're stuck at this job forever. I know you want to leave, but like, you're never going to find this. You're never going to find this again. You got lucky. Um, What will your friends think if you leave? You make more money than any of your friends. It's not even close. Everybody looks up to you. What will your family think? Your family loves you. They're so proud of what you've accomplished. And the loudest one for me was, do you really think you could be a successful podcaster? And I didn't. I, that was a pipe dream for me at that point. And I genuinely felt like if I was to take my life at that point, I would take my problems with me. And that was the rock bottom basement moment that really changed everything for me moving forward. I texted Alan, who's the, my co-host, the co-founder and the, the CEO of the company. And I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm having these dark, dark, dark thoughts. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And he said, Kev, so much has changed for you over the last few years. I mean, you're making a ton of money. You're investing in yourself. You've, you've tried the self-improvement thing, but your environment hasn't changed. You're still doing the same stuff with the same people. I think it's time to change your environment. And I left my job three or four months later and I had $10,000 in the bank. I moved in with one of my best friends, $500 a month rent. 
car was paid off and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to chase my dreams. And that was the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey. Now, as much as I would like to say everything happened and now we're on a thousand episodes, the next five years, four or five years were the hardest of my life for sure. Just being an entrepreneur is just something different. It's a different monster altogether. It is, especially even we both can relate being podcast hosts where it's not like it's easy. I mean, I'm a small guy in Missouri that's trying to build something, but I didn't get into this journey for the money. I have a full-time job that I enjoy doing, but this is something that I enjoy even doing after working eight hours. And I don't even care how late it takes me to get an episode done, but it's just so much fun and it's worth it. And I always tell people, it's my personal branding and networking opportunity because if the pandemic didn't happen, I would have never met all these amazing people, even Mm -hmm. like yourself. And I am grateful for the opportunity. What would you say is the biggest thing you've learned about yourself as a podcast host? Oh man. Um, I chronically don't believe in myself. Like you'd think I do. I mean, just like where, all the story I just said, like I quit this job, I quit this job, a uh, thousand episodes, right? Like top 100 podcasts, 125 plus countries. Every time before the mic turns on, there's a small part of me that is like, yo, you don't know what the hell you're doing. It's to this day, like even before this interview, it's very small, the smallest it's ever been. But there's that part that's like, you don't know what you're doing. And this might go horribly wrong. That's still, that's still with me. So it's taught me a couple things. One, it's taught me that I think one of the biggest keys to success is just small, courageous acts every day. Really. I mean, I have faced, I am terrified of planes. I, I do not like planes. My number one fear is planes. My number two uh, fear is sharks. You fly over the water. I'm facing both of them at the same time. (laughs) Not a fan, not a fan. But if you want to be an international speaker, unless you got a better way to get across the ocean, you're going to have to take a plane. So that's something I've had to come to terms with is look, a lot of these fears that you have, or you're going to have to at least face overcome, maybe not, maybe it's more like deal with that's been a big thing. And I think the other thing is self-awareness, self-awareness of you gotta, you gotta figure out like what parts of your ego are good. What parts of your ego are bad? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? When Alan and I sat down and we said, Hey, this is like a real business. Like we're making good money. We have a 16 person team. Like one of us has to be the CEO. What do we do? It was like, Alan, you should be the CEO, not me. Like you're the guy you're, you have a business degree. You have a master's in business. You're a genius. Like you should be the guy, not me. So having the humility to say like, yeah, this is my business. I started the name, whatever, but it's not best for me to be in charge. That was a very challenging, humbling thing. But I think this journey has taught me that, that humility of, I get the crap kicked out of me every single day. Every single day, I screw something up every single day. And that has helped me, I won't say stay humble because I I'm a human. I have ego flares like everybody, but it helps me remain humble. It helps me find humility. I think my set point now is the most humble version of myself I've ever been because there's just so much challenge. So that's, that's an important lesson is I think the amount of humility you have is directly correlated to the amount of challenge you have really. 
because that's how you stay humble. With Next Level University and being a podcast host, have you been, have you noticed that you've been able to be more open that you're sharing your story because people are able to maybe relate and they can understand why you've done certain things and it kind of understands a little bit more about who you are? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because in 2012, long before I had any of these goals, these dreams, I remember I did a, it wasn't Facebook live because there weren't Facebook lives, but I recorded a video on my laptop and I posted it to Facebook. And it was literally, I think the title was, do you deserve to be happy? And this basically was a podcast episode, me saying, I don't it really hear me out. And I was not a good speaker at the time, but it was something <laughs> along the lines of really hear me out. Why do you deserve to be happy? If you're not working for your happiness, do you deserve to be wealthy? Do you deserve to be in shape? I believe that you get the results that you put effort toward. And that was basically the, yep. the video. And that takes a lot of vulnerability to put yourself out there. So I just think for me, I don't know. That's like a weird part of me is I don't really, I don't really care what people think. I don't know, but I do like, I deeply, deeply do. But there's also that part of me that doesn't, it's like, what are you going to reach out and tell me I'm stupid? Like, whatever. Like if that's the worst thing I get, no big deal. But I've definitely gotten people who have reached out and, and said stuff. So I don't know. That's a weird part of me where if I believe it will be worth it, I'll do it. And that's where I tap into the mission of like, we recorded our thousandth episode last week and it's quite literally Alan and I bawling our eyes out for a good amount of it. <laughs> but after we got off, I was like proud of that. I was like, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the confidence to be vulnerable enough with our community to say like, look, this is a thousand episodes worth of emotion. I want to share it with you for the main goal. Not that you'll feel bad or say, oh my God, he's so vulnerable. No, it's so you realize like we're real people on the other sides of this mic. And we're really, really trying to do this. So yeah, I don't know. I have a weird, I have a weird relationship with who I am on the mic because I think it's different when you know you have a community. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when I go to the grocery store, I'm less Kevin than I am right now because nobody wants to talk about their dreams. Right. So it's, it's kind yeah. of like you give me the permission to be me. And our audience gives us the permission to be us. And it's that weird thing. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about having a platform is that platform isn't everywhere. Some people know me as bro Kev, you know, <laughs> and it's important not to revert around those people, but they don't want growth Kev. Not everybody wants growth next level Kev. Some people want hang out and just kind of chill Kev. And I think it's important to, to realize that. I have always had that kind of mindset where I didn't care what people thought of me. Just you can think whatever you want, but inside it did affect me a little bit. Mm. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, either you can like me or you can hate me, but just be honest with me. Like, I'm not going to get offended if you say, like you mentioned, oh, you're not smart enough. Oh, you can't do it. Even when I started this, they're like, oh, you're only going to last seven episodes. I'm way over a hundred episodes now and going into two years, but my whole thing with my show has been, I'm talking about other people's challenges and sprinkling in mine. It took me two years to finally go on another podcast and share my struggles, my rise to the challenge. 
And I think that was the best opportunity because I think people for the first time got to really know who I am as a person. And even my friends who got to hear things that they've never heard me talk about. And I always say, I'm an open book. You can ask me the questions. I will answer it Mm -hmm. because it's like, it already happened. There's nothing to hide behind right now. But I think me being vulnerable helps my guests understand that I'm doing the show because it's impacting me also because I'm able to share my stories and I can relate to certain things that my guests even go through. And I wouldn't change it because I think everyone has a story. Some people want to share it. Some people don't have the right timing to share it yet, but they will eventually do that. Yeah. I think it's the the analogy of there's a big difference between an open wound and a scar. If it's an open wound, do not share it because you're not ready yet. Yeah. Right. Like it's easy for me to talk about being suicidal. Cause I'm not anymore. And it's like, at this point, that's a scar. And that's, I talk about that so often now that it's, it's very much a scar, mm-hmm. which I'm grateful for. But at the time, the next day, if you said like, Hey, give us a, give us your thoughts on what you just went through. Like a, a post game interview. Yeah. Like, hey, how was your day yesterday? How do you think your performance was? Like, I'm not ready for this yet. Yeah. I just, I just lost the championship, but worse times a million. So yeah, to your point, I think telling your story gives you a good understanding of what you want to tell. Yeah. You kind of don't know unless you like overshare and it's like, mm, maybe not, maybe you don't say that next time or yeah, I really should have, I should have said this more. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I've did when I did that interview, I was revealing things and my mom that's she goes, When did this happen? Mm. And it's kind of going through the play by or the post-game interview. I'm like, I wasn't ready to share what <laughs> happened because I didn't think people would believe that it actually happened. And even when I told my friends years later, they're like, Really? Why didn't you tell us? I go, I wasn't ready. Mm. It wasn't the timing or anything. You mentioned earlier that you were planning on possibly going back into combat sports. When do you see that as that next stop in your journey that you're on? That's a great question. So I, I go to a gym that has a private boxing room. So it's got like a bunch of punching bags. So I do that weekly. So I've been doing like high interval boxing. So I'm doing it. I'm just not at the point where I'm like back in a school grappling. There was a while and I set the goal. And I think, again, the, we talked about this earlier, they never quit. This is something I might pivot from, but I wanted to have at least one amateur fight. That was my goal is like, look, I want to fight and just see what happens now. And this is a weird thing for me to think about and say, my brain is actually valuable to me in my profession. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, do I think anything bad is going to happen? No, but me taking head damage is probably not good for my longevity in my career. So I don't know that I'm ever going to actually compete in a combat scenario. What I will tell you is right now, I don't know that my schedule allows it. Um, So I would say in the next couple of years, I would like to get back into a school where I can go three, five times a week, you know, base it off what I'm doing for exercise that's what I would say. It's interesting because it's like, um, what's the best way to, to think about it? When you go all in on one thing, it's almost like you have to get rid of everything else. And it, it, this is my example, because again, we're trying to like 
do this podcast forever to the top of the world. So I had to get rid of a lot of other things. And one of the things I got rid of was rap. I love rapping, huge rap fan. I love writing. I love recording raps. I'm like, oh, it's awesome. Now I'm at the point where I can put that in my schedule. Like Friday from two to four, can't get a hold of me. I'm rapping. <laughs> the next thing I do, and again, I've actually had to take that out because things have changed, but that is something I will put back in. The next thing will be jujitsu slash mixed martial arts training, probably within the next year and a half, I would say. Did you ever have the goal of wanting to, you talked about how like baseball was a huge part, soccer was, was being an athlete ever in the cards for you? Or did you more do it for the fun of it? Kind of like fitness. Did you ever think about CrossFit, how that's a huge thing nowadays in that journey? I definitely thought about baseball, but I remember thinking to myself, I, and again, this is uh, ironic. I didn't want to live my life on the road. I remember thinking that if I, I wanted to be a wrestler and I said that earlier, wrestlers are on the road for like 300 days a year, like almost every day. And I remember when I found that out, I was like, Hmm, I don't know that that's in my core values. And I remember I felt the same about baseball. I don't want to be on the road all the time. That's yeah. The money I'm sure is amazing, but I don't want to do that. And I remember it's interesting. My fiance and I, my fiance, we dated before I started the podcast Then we broke up and we reconnected a few years later. And when we reconnected, she said like, what are you planning on doing in terms of travel? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't want, I will not date somebody who's on the road all the time. And I was like, interesting. Okay. And I had to get, I had to think about that. And I said, I will be on the road no more than one week a month. That is my, that is my promise to you. No more than one week out of the month. And COVID happened. And I have not traveled since, and I don't really have to because everything's virtual now. So that actually ended up not not COVID obviously is not a good thing, but it opened up avenues where I am now chatting with you from here in, what'd you say, Missouri? Yep. I'm in New Hampshire. We've never met in person. Hopefully we get the opportunity to, but you know, we've been paid thousands of dollars to speak virtually. Like that wasn't a thing five years ago. So yeah, it's, it's, I never, I wanted to be an athlete for the money. I think I'm, I'm a money driven human being. I've had to put that on the back burner for the last five years. Cause there's been very little of it, but I, I checked in with my core values and it didn't align with my core values. And that's when I, I made a shift. I think a lot of people wanted to be athletes because of the lifestyle and the money. I have been guilty of that because <laughs> I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. But everything is so you see what happens nowadays in the media and stuff. And it's kind of like, I don't want to deal with that. If I was ending up on TMZ or something, it's probably not a good thing unless I win some award and then TMZ is talking about it. But most of the things you read on there is not always good things. And especially with the athletes, it's like, you're always watching your back. You're always making sure you're doing the right thing because people are trying to take advantage of you and things like that. Yeah. Do you feel that your relationship with your fiance has gotten stronger because you've stayed committed and you've stayed confident to what you told her that you were going to do? Yeah, 100%. And we've definitely, I don't want to say ups and downs, like terrible ups and downs, but we've had times where, you know, we hosted a live event this year. My relationship took a little bit of a hit when we were promoting that and setting everything up and definitely, and it's, it's checking. It's like, there's health, wealth, and love, and it's a pyramid. And at all given times, one is kind of might be lagging behind the others, and you've got to do constant checkups. 
But one thing I will say is everything I've learned over the last five years has helped me with my relationship because I'm a more, I'm just a more capable human being than I used to be. I can just support her in better ways. I can communicate in better ways. I can be a little more courageous with my communication, my conversation, my vulnerability. So that has definitely helped because we spend every night together, which is amazing. And I get to work literally right next to our bedroom, which is great. Um, but I also think sometimes the travel is nice, right? When you're away from somebody for a couple of days, it makes you extra, extra, extra appreciate them. But yeah, I would say the, the personal development I've learned over the years has helped me more than anything with all my relationships in general. Looking at your complete you have been on, is there anything you would have changed or do you feel that each step you have taken has gotten you to where you are and you've learned so much about yourself through that journey? Hmm. I think I, if I could go back, I probably would have changed my expectations of the podcast because I think I thought we'd be more successful faster. I think everybody probably, at least I hoped that. So I think that probably would have helped me be in it for the long run because that's, that was the biggest struggle for me was the scarcity of I, so I literally could not buy Christmas presents for my girlfriend two years in a row. I didn't have any money. I was in $35,000 of credit card debt. Like there was a point where my car broke and I literally was driving my car with a, like a blown engine. Like there, it was stalling at red lights. It was like brutal and I couldn't get the brakes fixed. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm a quote unquote born entrepreneur. So I didn't understand that this was kind of just like par for the course. Mm -hmm. And if you want to win at the highest, highest, highest level, it will require some sort of sacrifice and some struggle, you know, and I didn't understand it would be the level that it is. So I think having that understanding would have helped. And I try to do that when people say, do you think everybody should be an entrepreneur? The answer is no, I don't. I don't. I just like not everybody should be a bodybuilder or a professional swimmer or, you know, not maybe not everybody should be a parent if that's not in alignment with what they want. So it depends on a lot of things. And I don't think it's good for everybody's mental health, honestly. So yeah, I, I think I wish I knew a little bit more about what to expect. But then again, and this is the joke Alan and I have, if you told me what this was going to take, I don't know if I would have done it. I might have said like, yeah, this job isn't too bad. I'll, I'll just stay here. So I think it's a, it's a fine line. It's a, it's a coin that has two separate sides that I don't know that I would have to, I really want to choose one over the other. When I started this, I was furloughed for my company and I'm like, okay, I got all the time. But then when I got back into the nine, the eight hour a day, then you have to do this. I'm like, I really have to create a schedule and how I do this yeah. and make it work and come up with these systems. And when I come up with these systems, people are like, how is it not taking you so long? I go, I'm just in a routine. Like I can get this done and it doesn't affect my life at all. But I've noticed that I get these people that they are say that they're, they know everything in pot and they're like, oh, you got to put more money into this. I go, but maybe I'm happy or I'm fulfilled at what I'm doing. And I like what I'm doing. And this isn't my full-time job. Like mm. I do this because I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy doing the hosting and stuff. And my dreams are to be in sports and be in a sports job. And I want to get there. So I'm just living my life how I want to. But, and I think that's the important part is if I wanted to make those sacrifices, I would really have to think it over, but mm. I knew the sacrifices would end up hoping getting me to where I am. But mm. I know that 
I'm fulfilled right now and I don't want to change it because I don't want it to go away because if I lost the show, I'd be, okay, what am I doing tonight? <laughs> like I'm so used to having a schedule and things like that. Well, it's self-awareness. I had somebody come to me one time and, and he was like, I want to do what you did. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I want to, I want to be a successful podcaster, speaker and coach. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, how big do you want to be? Like, just give me an example. He's like Gary V. And I was like, well, I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you what it'll take to be Gary V's level. Cause I'm not, I'm not there. Do I think we're on a similar trajectory? Maybe, I don't know, but yeah, I, I can't tell you. I can tell you what it's taken to be here, but this is what I always say. Tell me about your core values, your core beliefs, your core aspirations. Uh, I want to be home every night with my family. Okay, cool. Get rid of Gary V because that's not going to happen most likely unless you want to do it in a different way. Okay, what else? Well, I want to be able to do blank, blank, blank. Okay, that's not going to fit. I had a client one time and there's, there's the four M's of motivation. There's mastery, being, being the best in the world at something. There's materials slash, slash possessions. There is mating, so romance. And then there's movement slash freedom, being able to do whatever you want. And we added a fifth one, mission. And I had a client and I said, what is the most important motivator for you? And he said, movement slash freedom bar none. I said, what do you want to do with your life? And he said, I want to be an orthodontist and I want to have my own orthodontist clinic. And I said, okay, have you been to school for any of that? He's like, no, I got to go to school. And I said, all right, just a heads up with my awareness, you're going to have to trade in that movement and freedom thing that you love so much for like the next seven years. If you want to grow this business, he literally changed that day and said, honestly, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And he now is in real estate. And it's that one question of like, Alex, do you, do you want to like quit your job and be broke for a while so you can do this full time? No, you like your job? Cool. Then you should probably do what you're doing. And then if things change, you can always shift. Yep. People, I think oftentimes people try to put their, and I try really hard not to do this, but it is challenging sometimes. They put their experience and their journey into you and say like, mm -hmm. well, I make money with my podcast, Alex, you should too. Like, well, I don't want it. Well, yeah, but you could though. Like you're wasting your time if you don't, you know, it's, it's very important to understand what people actually value because the advice or the support you give them is attached to that. I think even nowadays with social media that it comes up so much like, oh, you like coaches and things like that. They're online and they're telling people you got to do it this way because they went through it. But it's like, well, my life is different. Like mm -hmm. I might be going through something different that I can't do it the way that you're doing. So I think that just makes a person become even more adaptable where if they're a coach, if they're able to handle all those different scenarios that a client is going through, it makes them even stronger. Yeah. I try to always say, I understand at the level I understand. I had a call, one of our clients is a stay-at-home mom and her podcast is stay-at-home moms. And she said, yeah, I'm thinking of taking a step back. Maybe instead of doing two episodes a week, maybe I'll do one. What do you think? And I said, well, I only understand to the level I understand what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom, which is zero because I'm not a mom. I have two cats, which is awesome, but <laughs> cats are not human. So I can't imagine what that is like to be a stay-at-home mom with several children. Now, this is my advice from a coaching standpoint of numbers and blah, blah, blah. I want you to do what's most aligned for you. But I try to start the conversation with, I only understand at the degree I understand which honestly, oftentimes is not much. I've never had a child. I don't have any children. I'm, you know, I'm not, um, I'm a white male that's grown up in America. If that's not your experience, then I only have so much understanding of 
what you've been through. But to your point, I think it's important to try to lead with that. And, you know, none of us know it all. None of us know it all. But not everybody knows enough to know they don't know it all. Yeah. If that makes sense. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, both personally and professionally? Oh, man. Well, I'm getting married in August. So my fiance and I are going, we already have everything booked. We're going to Telluride, Colorado to get to elope um, because we didn't want a wedding. And then we're having a party when we come back, which is cool. I'm very excited about that. This is usually where I make the joke that we're going to go wherever Alan takes us. And that's me being humble and saying like, I don't really know. I I genuinely am not sure because I didn't think we were going to be where we are today. What I do know is seven episodes a week forever. Wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. And again, I say it publicly because that helps me stay consistent. Seven episodes a week forever. We do um, group coaching every three months. Alan and I have a bunch of one-on-one clients, which I'm very grateful for. We're doing our first retreat. So it's really us like building out the impact of the business and saying, we want to help you change your life if you're ready for that in whatever manner that looks like. So it's very much more of the same. People say, what is your definition of success? I am successful because I get to do what I love every single day. And by theory, I'll only become more successful because I'm only going to continue doing. And again, I have stuff I don't like doing that I do, trust me. But you know what I mean? I get to do my mission every day and it's Saturday and I like literally 10 out of 10 aligned being here with Alex. I'm very grateful for this. I love, I love stuff like this. I love to be able to, to do the mission. So just very much more the same. And our long-term goal is to be the most successful, holistic self-improvement company ever of all time. And that's, that's the big goal. We have an app that we just rolled out that we're trying to help people with consistency. So there's a ton of stuff happening. I wish I could give you like a, this is what it's going to look like, but it's going to be a lot of what we're doing now. Just more and better is what I would say. Well, the fun part is if we connect two years later and we look back at exactly what you mentioned, mm-hmm. how is that journey going? Because yeah. I love asking that question because I guess they know exactly what the plan is. And some are like, I don't know, whatever the road takes me, takes yeah. me. And it's because it's so open because we don't know what to expect. No one knew that the last two years was going to be like this, but we all have adapted and we've grown from it. And some people found new things that they enjoyed, especially TV shows or activities and things like that. So you're always prepared no matter what we're faced. As long as I'm growing, that's, yeah. that's the measure really. As long as I'm growing towards, you know, it, cause it's one of those things and I, it's, it's interesting. We, we kind of end here cause we started here, but it's the perspective of a lot can happen in a couple of months. Yes. And then it's also like, not a lot can happen in five years too. Like there's that fine line. This is a good example. I, between this week, last week and the week before I have done 70 podcasts probably in the last three weeks. Wow. That I didn't do that many in the first year. So like that perspective for me of I've been on like 30, 40, 50 other podcasts over the last three weeks and we do seven episodes a week and I have another podcast I'm coming up with, blah, blah, blah. That kind of perspective is wild. I was on another podcast today and they said, what was it like to cross your 1000th episode? I said, that was really weird, but it was weirder that we had 3000 listens the other day and we only had 1024 in our first year. 
That's super weird, but that's the perspective there. You need something to contrast it with. And to your point, I'd love to, I'll come back in five days, never mind five years. But I, I think that's the important thing is as podcasters, you and I have so much content. Mm-hmm. You can look at where was I on January 25th of 2000, whenever you started your show. And you can look back and say, oh yeah, I remember that time. Yeah, I remember I interviewed this guest and I had this happen before that. If you're out there and you don't have those perspective markers, try to find a way to create it. Do a, I always say this to people, do a video. Like, hey, it's Kev, it's uh, June 11th. You know, the, the, I'm getting married in two months. That's so weird. We just got a big blah, blah. And then you look back on that in a year and say like, oh, did things go the way I expected or did they not? So it's an important check-in. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listened to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Ooh, loaded question. He ends with the loaded question. <laughs> I would say one of the things I talk about most often is unlearning. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're focused on learning. Love that. Huge fan. It's a core value of mine. But one thing we got to focus on is unlearning because when you're born, you're a seed and you're planted in soil that you have no control over. And oftentimes that soil is toxic and you take that soil with you. That becomes part of you for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. And when you're learning from podcasts or books or whatever it is, it's not necessarily getting to the seed. It's not necessarily landing the way it should. It's not altering your identity. So I would say you have to, you have to become wildly self-aware through asking yourself the difficult, asking and answering the difficult questions. Ask yourself why. Why did I do that? Okay, because blank. Well, why did blank? Okay, and then why and why and why? There is a book. I don't remember what book it is, but it talks about the seven whys. If you ask why seven times, theoretically, you get to the truth. I don't know how it could be that straightforward, but it will definitely make you question things. And if you change the way you think, you will change the way you act and you can change the way you live. That was our original slogan because I really believe everything starts with awareness and you have to have awareness of yourself first. So if I could go all in on one thing, it would be self-awareness and unlearning from your past. A lot of us want to look in the future and I love that. And I hope everybody has a a very bright future, but you've got to look at your past to figure out why your present is the way it is. Your present is not the way it is based on your future. It's most likely more heavily weighted on your past. So I would say look back. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you. We're both excited. We probably have no idea together what it's going to look like, but that's all good. I appreciate you having me. This was I've told you this behind the scenes several times, but this is truly wonderful. Uh, I'm grateful for what you're doing in the world. And this was one of my favorite shows to be on ever of all time. So thank you, Alex. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.